Last week we saw uh, this new people trying to find an identity for themselves, wandering through the desert, and God beginning to reveal something of who he is to them. And so God revealed himself as healer when they came to uh, a brackish spring desperately needing water, and God healed that water for them so that they could drink. God revealed himself as provider as they came to this beautiful oasis of 12 springs and palm trees with shade. And he provided bread that came down every night from the sky and they found this wafer on the ground. And he provided birds that covered the ground so thickly that you would throw a net and you would have enough for meat. God is provider. And he revealed himself as banner when they were attacked by another tribe and he gave them victory and he protected them and he watched over them. So God has drawn them out of Egypt. He's revealed something of who he is. In the next two weeks, he's going to show what it means to be in relationship with them and invite them in. But there's one step he wants to do first. And that step is leadership and community. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in Exodus chapter 18. Let's pray and then we'll dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to pray that you would open our eyes this morning to the privilege of leadership. Something we don't always think is a privilege to have leadership in our lives. Often we think it's telling us what to do and making us go out of our way and imposing itself on us. But I want to pray this morning that you would open our eyes to the privilege of leadership and the privilege of getting involved in community and in process and leadership so that grace can flow to more people and the broader community. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we pick it up in Exodus chapter 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardship they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. And so Moses' father-in-law arrives with Moses' wife and kids. Uh, At some point, he must have sent them out of Egypt because we know that he originally traveled to Egypt with them. Uh, Perhaps he decided it was too dangerous for them to be there uh, while he was confronting Pharaoh. Uh, And so now Jethro comes back with them. And we see that Jethro is referred to as a priest of Midian. 
Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but uh, he was obviously some kind of a pagan priest. And what we see ending up happening in this short passage is that he becomes a follower of God. The people of God are added to. He praises God as the most high God, and he ends up having a meal uh, with the elders of Israel in the presence of God. The people of God are added to. And it's worthwhile looking at the circumstances that allow Jethro to become a follower of the one true God, Yahweh. And in this text, we see four things that are instrumental to Jethro being added to the people of God. First of all, he was in a relationship with someone that was part of God's people. He was Moses' father-in-law. He's not just a random stranger. Secondly, there's the testimony of Moses. This is what God has done. This is how he rescued us. This is all the hardships we went through, and this is how God rescued us from all of those hardships. Thirdly, he comes into community. He's hanging out with Moses. He's hanging out with Aaron. He's hanging out with the, the, the elders of Israel. And fourthly, maybe this is the most important. No, it's not the most important, but it is important, and that's food. They have a meal together, right? They have a meal together. This is how the people of God get added to it. It's not an exhaustive list, but this is, a, this is a blueprint for how people get added to the kingdom of God. Someone you have a relationship with, telling them the goodness of God in your life, welcoming them into community, and eating with them. Maybe you feel like at the moment you don't have a really big story or testimony. You know, maybe you, you're sitting there going, well, Gareth, I don't have one of those stories where you know, my life was like over there and there's all these things that I can't even mention in church because of the age restriction and now my life is all the way over here and I, I don't have this massive testimony. Well, first of all, you don't need a testimony like that. You need a testimony of the goodness of God in your life. But notice something else. The testimony Moses gives him is not just the testimony of Moses. It's the testimony of how God rescued his people. It's the testimony of the community. Hey, over the last year, we have a testimony of God's goodness to us as a community in bringing us Brendan Tash and their family when we had no leadership in this church. We have the testimony of the goodness of God of sustaining us through an incredibly difficult period. This is not just about us individually. This is about us together. And then we start to think about individuals within our community. I think of Aunt Larufa and the testimony of God's goodness in his whole transplant situation and bringing healing and the miraculous provision through his wife. We have such a testimony. And if, if you're feeling at the moment like, well, you know, it, I'm just kind of like plodding along, going to work every day, and, and nothing big and dramatic is happening. Well, firstly, there's the faithfulness of God in sustaining you. But secondly, there's the testimony of us as a community. Now, this is not really highlighted in the text, but as I was reading this and thinking this, I just felt God prompt me to notice this. To have the testimony, Moses needed to be where God called him to be. To have the testimony, Moses had to go to Egypt. He had to go to Pharaoh. He had to lead the people to the Red Sea. The testimony comes because he's where God wants him to be. Are you where God wants you to be? In community, in church, attending online or in person, regularly. I was telling some people this week, just connecting with some people and saying to them, hey, you know, one of the ways that I've seen grace flow to people in some difficult circumstances similar to what you're going through is through community. What, what do you think about trying to get back into community because then God's grace flows and then you receive grace and you have a testimony of God's grace. 
I know for many of us, we're kind of rebuilding rhythms in our lives once again, but it's vital that you be where God wants you to be so you can see what God is doing and testify of his goodness to those you're in relationship with, preferably around a meal with friends. Let's see what happens next. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw, that all, was Moses, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they ought to live and how they ought to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases you can decide that they can decide themselves. This will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. What we see is that the people of God are given gifts to build up the community. Jethro is added to the faith and to the community of God's people, but he doesn't actually stay with them for very long. We're going to see by the end of the chapter, he goes back to Midian, but immediately God uses him with a gift of wisdom. You can be a gift even if you aren't somewhere very long, even if you haven't been somewhere for very long. Moses is yes, seen to the disputes of the people. And remember, this is a people whose chief distinguishing feature so far in the story has been complaining. It was better back in Egypt. Why did you lead us into the desert to die up first? Oh, we had meat back in Egypt. And I can only imagine what this was like. They pitched their tent too close to ours. Their son wants to be a priest and he practices blowing the shofar till 10 o'clock at night. Why did they get a bigger tent than us? And Moses is listening to the complaints and the disputes and he's judging them. And Jethro looks at this. He says, Moses, this is not good. You're taking on everything yourself. Now, we don't know why Moses was taking on everything himself. We can be tempted to say, well, it's because he thought he was so important that everything had to go through him. But we don't actually know that. It could be pride. I can do it better than anyone. It could be a sense of responsibility. I've been given care over these people, and so I am responsible for them. I need to see to their needs. God didn't pour out his spirit on everyone in those days as he does today. Maybe he felt that only he could bring God's wisdom to bear in their lives. And so it could be for good reasons. It could be for bad reasons, but the outcome is bad. He's heading to burnout. The people are stuck in long lines all day, and God's grace is not flowing through the community. Moses is bottlenecking God's grace and wisdom in in resolving the people's disputes. So Jethro says, what you are doing is not good. He was a gift to God's people by using the wisdom God gave him. 
Remember, he was a priest. Now, it might have been to a pagan false god, but he probably understood rosters and delegating and working in team. Moses had been a shepherd for 40 years. He knew what it was to care for sheep, so he had a pastor's heart, but he'd been doing it solo for 40 years. He didn't have the knowledge to work in team and how to delegate and organize. So God's gift is Jethro to bring wisdom. But the gifts God's people are given don't stop with Jethro. He points out that there are other gifts to the community. Verse 21. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. These are gifts to the community. Men and women who are capable, God-fearing, and trustworthy. In this context, in that patriarchal culture, it was only men. But we see in the New Testament, for example, in Romans, how so many of Paul's fellow workers were women. He says, they must be capable. God gives you gifts. You can organize a roster and raise volunteers well. You can actually sing. You can do tech. You can love and relate well to kids. You are capable. That's a gift. But in the context of community, it's not that you have a gift of administration. It's that you are a gift of administration. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, you are a gift for the building up of the rest of the church. And we need all the gifts as a body needs all of its parts to function properly. You don't just have a gift of singing. You are a gift of singing for the building up of the church. You don't just have a gift of getting tech Shout out to Valdu this morning for uh, saving us with a tech issue. Thank you, Valdu. You're a gift of bringing tech to the rest of us, particularly those that are online and have a service this morning. You don't just have a gift of loving and teaching children. You, you are a gift of loving and teaching our children. Competence. Secondly, God-fearing. We don't just want competency. We want people who think through, this is how what I am doing blesses those around me and honors God. And thirdly, those who are trustworthy. We're not just going to leave our kids with anyone. There is process involved in volunteers. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a ministry leader. It's vital that you don't imitate Moses at this point. Are you trying to do everything yourself? Even if it's not for a bad reason, like pride, maybe it's for a good reason, like feeling a sense of responsibility, But it creates a bottleneck. It leads to burnout, and it leads to people not being properly served. Just imagine for a moment that you had a genuine issue. Somebody had stolen something from you. Now you're standing in this line to have your dispute resolved, and Sally's talking about how Johnny's playing the shofar till 10 o'clock at night and going on and on, and and there's a a bunch of like meaningless disputes in front of you, and you've got a really serious, genuine issue, and, and grace has been bottlenecked. Because the administration and the structure is not in place properly and the gifts that could be releasing grace have not been released and everything's flowing through one person. Look for the gifts around you. Maybe you're a member and you're not being fully part of the body. You're, you're standing in that queue waiting for someone to dispense grace to you and wondering why it's taking so long. Isn't it time to get out of the queue and get in the game And not just receive grace for yourself, but dispense it through your gifting to others. Let's finish off the chapter. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. 
He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Don't overlook verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Maybe I'm only speaking to myself right now, but uh, I can't tell you how many issues in my life would have been 100% resolved if I just consistently listened to godly wisdom from others and what I read in Scripture and just immediately did it. Not thought about it, not discussed it, not pondered it, did it. That's what Moses did, and grace flowed. Moses has a specific calling and role within the people of God. Jethro identifies his unique role, teach them God's decrees and instructions, show them how to live and how they are to behave, and represent them to God. But instead, he's spending all of his time dealing with disputes, and grace isn't flowing. And so he delegates and he appoints leaders, and it seems to be quite structured, 50s, 10s, 100s, 1000s. It's fairly organized. Leadership and organization and process are not anti-spiritual, provided it's godly, capable, trustworthy people being appointed to release grace and gifting to the church. We see this uh, account repeated again in Deuteronomy 1, uh, and in the book of Numbers, God takes the Spirit on Moses and puts it on 70 other elders so they can lead alongside him. Jesus does the same thing. He appoints 12 leaders and organizes and multiplies his ministry from there. And it's vitally important for us to be the church God calls us to be and to accomplish what he calls us to accomplish, that we do this well. Without good leadership and structure, we cannot flourish as a community and things inevitably go wrong. We have an example of this in the New Testament. Here's an example of what happens when organization and structure aren't good and the grace that can flow when those issues are resolved. So uh, the situation is it's a short while after Pentecost. Jesus has uh, died. He's resurrected, gone to heaven. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. 3,000 people get saved in that day. The church is growing. So they're now numbering in the thousands. And they are reaching out to their broader community. They're providing food for widows. In those days, uh, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, okay, that's Jews who grew up speaking Greek, um, The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, the Jews who grew up speaking Hebrew, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Okay, so there's some kind of favoritism going on, some some kind of ethnic tension or or tension between different uh, language groups. And so the 12, that's the original 12 disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said, we don't have enough food, please bring us more so we can distribute it. No, that's not what they said. They say it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. They're not saying waiting on tables is bad. It's the very thing they want to accomplish. They're saying it's not our role. In the same way that Jethro came to Moses and said, this is not your role. And so, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. There's no pressure. uh, There's no guilt. It is a responsibility that they are stepping into with their gifting. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. 
this proposal pleased the whole group. And this next set of names that I read, you wouldn't know it in English, but uh, in the original language, it, it indicates there's an uh, ethnic diversity of leadership that is appointed here to deal with a problem that is related to ethnic diversity. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7 is so fantastic. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. In verse 1 it was increasing. Now it's increasing rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So this wasn't ministry strategy. Hey, we need to reach the priests. This was, hey, there's this need, there's this organizational bottleneck, we need to appoint leadership and structure. The, the, the uh, 12 are not going to do it themselves, they're going to put process in place, and once grace begins to flow, suddenly there's ministry breakthrough in an area that they weren't even focusing on. That's how God's grace flows when gifting comes into play, and people get out of the queue, and they get into the game, and grace just flows. It's beautiful, it's incredible. And the apostles are focusing on what they are called to do. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to pull back the leadership curtain just a little bit uh, in Common Ground Durbanville this morning and, and show you some of the, the behind-the-scenes kind of leadership realities. Over the past season, until Brendan and Natash came, you'd know if you've been here any length of time, we were without a lead eldership couple. And so there was something of a leadership vacuum, uh, and the elders or pastors, we use that phrase interchangeably, uh, were doing a lot of the admin of the church. Now, you might be thinking, well, well is, is that an issue? Shouldn't the elders be organizing the men's camp and the ladies' event and making sure we have coffee? Uh, those are good things, and they are good things. But it comes down again to what is the God-given role? What is the role that God has given you? For Moses, it wasn't settling every minor dispute. It was teaching God's word. For the 12, it wasn't making, handing out food to widows. It was prayer and the preaching of God's word. So what is it that elders should be doing? And I'm not going to do an exhaustive list because that would take the whole sermon. But just to highlight a few things that the New Testament points towards we see, like these 12, the, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles who led the church in Jerusalem, we are called to pray and preaching and teaching. In other parts of Scripture, we see that also includes protecting from false teaching and false teachers. Uh, we read a lot of what elders should do in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and one of those things is to lead, to have vision for the future, to pray and find out from God, hey, God, where are you moving? What are you doing? And what new ground are you wanting us to break into? And in Ephesians 4, we see that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given as a gift to the church, notice that again, for the equipping of the saints for the ministry. Elders, pastors are to equip people to do the ministry so that it's not bottlenecked like what happened with Moses, where they're trying to do everything themselves. And so one of the things Brendan and Tasha have been doing is kind of reorienting and moving admin into admin roles, and eldership is becoming about eldership leading, preaching, teaching, praying for people, equipping people. We had an amazing time in our elders meeting this week, just inviting some of our deacons in and just giving an hour to a few people to just hear where they're at and to pray for them and to encourage them. I'm so grateful that we were making that transition and we're doing what we see uh, in Exodus 18 and in Acts chapter 6. 
So you might be wondering, well, well, what should I be doing in response to this? You know, this is leadership, this is admin, this is organization. Uh, maybe for some of you, like me, um, that excites you, and you're like, oh, structures, processes, amazing, fantastic. Uh, for some of you, it's probably the last thing you want to hear about. You know, maybe you, uh, let me just sing, let me just draw, let me just work with kids, and somebody else can handle all the rosters and things. And, and that's okay, because you want to be where your gifting is. But what is the response? I want to say, the first response should be to welcome leadership, to welcome godly leadership. It's very possible to sit there Sunday after Sunday and to like acknowledge, yes, somebody needs to be up front preaching God's word, and that's great, but I don't really want somebody coming in my life and, and, and bringing leadership and, and saying, hey, what if you did this differently, or what if you got involved yet? And I'll, I'll figure it out for myself. I just want to sit there and, and I'll receive God's word, but I don't really want leadership. And, and if that's you, I would just encourage you to think through, is that really what we see in God's word? I think what we've seen in God's word this morning is that God appoints leaders and he appoints structure so that grace can flow to you as well and so that you can be a conduit of God's grace to others. It is a privilege to welcome godly leadership into your life. One of the things I'm learning from Brendan serving on team with him is to honor people and so I want to honor you, Brendan, and say it is a privilege, and Tash, it is a privilege to have you lead our eldership and to lead our staff. It's a privilege. Tell them, guys, it's a privilege. It really is. And secondly, you can respond, and this is not everyone. Some of you are in the trenches. Some of you are working. Some of you are serving. Some of you are conduits of God's grace. But for some of you, you need to get out of the queue. You need to not just be those that are waiting on Moses, but actually expanding the channel of grace so that new ground can be broken, so that there's more testimonies of God's goodness, so that the Jethro's out there can hear what God is doing in this place. They can hear the testimony of God's goodness in this place, and they can come to know him. I want to invite the band to come up. We're going we're gonna to close with worship. I'm going to pray for us as they come up. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of leadership and for godly leadership. What an incredible reality that you operate not through the perfect, but through the imperfect. Not that even one leader could be perfect other than Jesus. That's partly why you need to work through so many people. Thank you for those one another's that we bring to each other when we're conduits of grace together. I just want to pray for those that have maybe been hurt by leadership before. In other churches, all this church, we're not, we're not perfect. I just want to pray uh, a grace and a growth to realizing that where our leadership is imperfect, your leadership is perfect. Your grace comes and washes away sin takes away pain and hurt, and ultimately everything is perfected in you. And I pray that those who've been hurt by leadership would find peace in you and grace in you and would find the strength to get back in the game, to get out of the queue. I want to pray for those that are transitioning back to church and reestablishing rhythms in their lives. Won't you, you speak to them about getting involved early? You don't have to be back for six months. Jethro was there for a short time and he was a gift to that community. Even if you're just back for a short time, 
God, I want to pray that you would reveal to people how they can be a gift to this community. And ultimately, we pray this so that grace can break new ground, new ministry, new people coming to know you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.